Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. All right, you guys can be seated. How are we doing this morning, guys? Are we good? And we should be doing excellent. This weekend's weather has just been phenomenal. Um, it's been interesting because, you know, you see the heat advisories on, uh, at least I saw them on the TV screen, and I'm like, heat advisories? I'm from Florida. You guys don't know what heat advisories are. <laughs> you don't walk out in the middle of the summer right now without melting, and you actually question, should I even go outside to get anything from my car? And if something's left in there, I hope it, I hope it survives. Um, so it's, uh, it's been a great time. Um, most of you guys know I have a Jeep. If you didn't know, I, now you know. Um, and I have taken everything off of that Jeep, and I've just been able to ride around, and it's just been beautiful. Uh, so praise God that we are able to enjoy his beautiful weather and just this season of life that we're going through right now. Um, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the District Church, um, and it is my joy and my honor to be able to open God's Word with you and look at, uh, you know, really our gospel vision points for the District Church. Last week, we went through gospel-centered worship, uh, where Dwayne talked about, you know, our lives being a living sacrifice for the Lord. And he talked about how our affections are stirred up for everything that God has made for us. And he really went a long time in talking about burgers and seasoning and everything like that. Um, but if you know him, he's passionate about that. And it was really cool just to see him tie that back to, you know, praising God for what he's created for us. Every single one of us have different gifts. Every single one of us have different passions in which we can use to praise God and bring glory to his name. And so Dwayne talked about a little bit last week of just that and looking at how we can worship the Lord in our everyday life. But he also talked about Romans 12.1. And I'm going to read this to you guys. Uh, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your spiritual worship. So not only is coming and worshiping and listening to a teaching on Sunday mornings or going to a discipleship group or missional community group uh, a part of your act of worship, your, your whole lives, as the Bible would describe, is a living sacrifice as a service and worship to the Lord. And so when we see that, when we understand what worship is as a believer, it should compel us into discipleship. That's why our second point for our vision is gospel-centered discipleship. Because when we love the Lord and we love the things that he's created, it should compel us to love the people around us and begin to create disciples in the places that we are, in our social circles, in our families, at our jobs, wherever God has placed us. You know, as John was talking about this morning, man, uh, that, that study really impacted me as well to know that most believers don't even recognize the people around us and we're there to preach the gospel and to be able to show who Christ is and the glory of his name and the growth of his kingdom. And so that was what we'll be talking about this morning. It's actually uh, one of my extreme passions to be able to walk through discipleship with people. But since most of you guys don't really know who I am, I'm just going to go through a list of just the, a little bit of passions about myself. Uh, maybe you'll see some of my affections. Dwayne got to do it, so it's my turn this week, so just bear with me. Um, but it will tie together, I promise you. Um, one of the things that you'll notice about me, if you've hung out with me a lot, is I'm a family guy. Um, I have a very big family for today's day and age. Uh, I have four sisters and one brother. Um, my brother came 15 years after I was, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was 15 years old when he was born, yeah. Um, he came 15 years after I was born, so I had to deal with four sisters and a mother 15 years of my life. So that was 
definitely a fun time for me. A lot of estrogen in the house, and I just, I just bounce. I'm like, I'm going outside. I'm playing sports. But um, I'm a huge family man. One of my, one of my sisters is actually married, and she's got four girls of her, of her own. Uh, so we're, I mean, really, our house is surrounded by women. Um, but I love my nieces, and I love to see them grow, and I love to see, you know, God use them uh, as they're younger, just to hear the word of God. Um, and so uh, it's a joy for me to be able to see them, uh, although they do live in North Carolina, so I don't always get to be in a part of their lives, uh, but thank God for his common grace through technology that we can um, be close to them, or at least I can be close to them, uh, even through FaceTime or text messages or phone, phone calls. Um, but, so I'm a family guy. Uh, I also, and this shouldn't be a surprise for really anybody, um, I'm passionate about my dog. His name is Aslan. And I love him. He is a 70-pound pit bull, and he just runs around and, and, and tears up my house. Um, but he's a joy. And if anybody's been able to come over, if anybody's really been around me enough, I, I probably talk about Aslan a lot as if he's my child, because right now he kind of is. Um, so I'm passionate about him, passionate about playing with him, and uh, just being outside and being in nature, which is another one of my passions that God has put on my heart uh, to see his glory through nature, specifically sunsets. Man, I was able to go out to White River um, a couple of days ago through a park, and, and I just found this open space of uh, just grass, and, and there's the river. And I'm like, where did, did this come from? Um, but, you know, I was able to see God's glory and God's grace and mercy through just natural revelation of his creation. Um, and so I, I love being outside. I love being in nature. Um, if I can do the next thing, which is reading outside a lot, Man, it's like I'm in heaven. So if it's a good day, like it's been the last couple of weekends, and I can sit out on the porch, my dog's outside, and, you know, some music is on, um, and I'm reading, you, you might as well find me in heaven, because that's, that's where my heart's going to be um, pulled. And then the la- uh, well, second to last thing, um, and most of you guys probably don't know this about me, but because I'm from Florida, I'm also a Florida Gator. Um, if you guys like college football, you'll understand that. If you don't, then it's probably like, meh, whatever. But... 30 more days, college football starts, and I get to watch my Gators play again, which has been a terrible season uh, to not be able to watch college football. But I'm up here in a different state, uh, in the Midwest, so it'll be interesting to hang out with some Big Ten people and uh, talk about college football and how the SEC is the dynamic uh, conference that we have. Um, But the last thing is I, I love discipleship. My, my greatest and deepest passion uh, is to love the Lord and then to disciple people walking into the likeness of Christ. And so this morning, I mean, it, it is honor and a joy to be able to talk about what discipleship looks like and what we can do inside the district church in going out and creating disciples, making disciples of all nations, uh, starting here in Indianapolis, and then as Dwayne will talk about next week, gospel-centered multiplication, sending people out. Because the foundation starts with loving the Lord and worshiping him well. And then discipleship flows from our love for the Lord to go out to love people well. And then being sent out involves multiplication. Being sent out to our cities, to our jobs, to our families. That's where the gospel is going to grow. But then there are going to be some people in here. I mean, you guys may have a heart to go and be a missionary. And we're going to send you guys out. Some of you guys may be in here and you may have a heart for church planning. And we want to send you out. We want to equip you and send you with love from the district church to go and bring Christ's name to the ends of the earth. And that's what discipleship looks like. Because the natural progression of worshiping the Lord is to disciple people. And this may, be, this may come as a shock, but disciple, discipling people disciple people themselves. 
And I know, again, that, that might be a phrase of just like, well, yeah, duh, that makes sense. But we need to hear it. We need to understand it. We need to, to grow in that. Because, again, the outpouring love of what we believe in the gospel should then flow out to the people around us. Jesus' greatest commandments that he ever left on this earth are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So when you're loving the Lord with your whole being, I mean, that's what Jesus describes, your whole being, your whole self, what flows from your heart is a natural bent to love those around you. And so that's what we're going to dive in today. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8, we're going to hang out there this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, which it looks like most of you guys do, um, you guys can turn there. Uh, if you want to read along with me, it'll be on the screen. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can always grab one. It should be sitting next to you. I'll let you guys get there. And then, like we're going to do every single week, we're going to read the Word of God together. Now, we're a family, we're a body of Christ. And we want to exalt and praise the Lord through the reading of his word together. So I'm going to read the first couple of words, and then I'm going to let you guys finish out. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you. That's the word of the Lord. Let's go and take a uh, time of prayer here. Lord, we know that discipleship is important to you. We see that clearly through Jesus' life and the gospel and the ministries with his apostles. He intentionally sought out 12 men who he would use to share the good news of the glory of Jesus Christ. And in his ministry, we see many areas of discipleship form. From teaching to crowds, uh, to the 120 that followed him, to the 12 he chose to become his apostles and take the word of God to the ends of the earth, to the three he had in his inner circle. But ultimately, Lord, we see the greatest sacrifice of discipleship through Christ's life, death, and resurrection on the cross. We see in his ministry that it was one of saving and healing, but also teaching and growing people into the likeness of himself. So this morning, when we go through your word, Lord, we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would teach us what true discipleship looks like. Help us to be people centered on the gospel, that are willing to lay down our pride, we're, we're willing to lay down our own agenda, and take up our crosses to help others live and know you more. Lord, teach us to trust you as we see the lost and dying world around us and to be bold in our faith. Lord, knowing that you have done all that we need in Christ, so that when we go out and share the gospel, it's not on us, but Lord, we know that you save, and so our call is to be obedient to the good news that you have. And Lord, as a teacher up here, Lord, move me out of the way. Let my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. Oh God, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the question this morning uh, that we're going to pose is, what is discipleship? What does gospel-centered discipleship look like? And actually, as going through this sermon, pre preparing for the sermon, um, God has, in his providence, just kind of had people ask me that question, just kind of out of nowhere, uh, whether it was just kind of sitting down with coffee or hanging out with some people. They've asked, you know, what does discipleship look like? How would you describe or what advice would you give to somebody who is preparing to disciple someone else? And my answer is one point. 
Um, and that's going to be the main point in which we get all of our points today. Um, and I'm just going to keep going back to this point over and over again. So if you're type A's, you like to write things down, or you know you need notes, that's perfectly fine. Um, I'm normally the same way if somebody's preaching, I need to be able to follow along and write stuff down. So this main point is what we're going to stick on today and what discipleship looks like. Discipleship is the coming alongside of someone in order to help them grow into the likeness of Christ. I'll say that again so that you guys can write that down. I sometimes speak too fast, but discipleship is the coming alongside of someone in order to help them grow into the likeness of Christ. It's the sharing of your life with someone or someone else sharing the life with you in order to help you guys or ourselves walk in the likeness of Christ one step at a time. In the great book, The Pilgrim's Progress, by John Bunyan, the great Puritan writes about a man named Christian. He has a dream in which it's an allegorical story of the Christian walk. And we pick up this story in John Bunyan's dream where Christian is convicted by his own sin. And he's convicted by his own sin, and the, uh, the, the book actually describes his sin as a burden on his back. And he can't get this burden released, and he doesn't know how to, and he's being enlightened to the gospel. And in, man, in steps in a man named Evangelist, who gives him a book, which is the scripture as we find out. And he tells him, this is the walk that you need to take to have that burden released from you. And this is the walk that you would go on as a believer in Christ. And so the story picks up as Christian is realizing this, and he takes that book and he starts to walk that path, the journey in which all of us as believers are taking. And so Christian goes on this journey, walking towards the heavenly city. He's leaving his family, his friends, his jobs, all that he's ever known to walk towards, as the book would describe, the celestial gate. And as he's walking, before he even gets to a home where he would be saved, he's confronted with different obstacles. Immediately, his family starts crying out, come back. Immediately, his friends start dogging him and saying, where are you going? What are you doing? This is the life in which we should be living. He walks through a swamp, uh, he walks through some doubt and the season of doubt, and then he is in, uh, comes up to a man who tells him that you can lose your burden by just going down this route in which if you work harder, that burden will be removed itself. And as the story tells us, Christian walks down this second path first, and he, he feels the burden actually becoming more and more of a weight on his shoulders. And up until that point, he'd been walking alone, but in comes evangelist again. And he tells him, Christian, what are you doing, man? I, I gave you the book of life. I told you how to take that burden off. Get back on this path. Look to the gospel. Look to what Christ has already done on the cross because that is the only way in which the burden will be removed. So after that, he gets to the house in which, as the story tells us, that burden is released. And he takes on a different burden. But this time, it's the burden and the yoke of Christ, which Jesus tells us is light. And it's easy. And so Christian then begins on a enough, enough path. And I'm sorry, I can't speak. Another path in which he is walking towards the heavenly gate. And as he's walking, he sees a man up in front of him walking that same pilgrimage. And he catches up to him and he finds out his name. He's, What's your name, man? I'm walking the same path as you. Do you want to walk together? And this guy's name is Faithful. And Faithful and Christian begin to walk this Christian path together encouraging one another, edifying one another, talking about, hey, this is how I got to this path. How did you get here? 
just like Christians would do. How did you get saved? Tell me about how Christ came into your life and removed that sin. How were you enlightened by the gospel? This is what they did on this journey. And in the story, these guys walk into a city called Vanity Fair. And I mean, I kid you not, this book was written before that magazine was ever made. But they walk into Vanity Fair, and as described, this city is all about vanity. All they worry about is the non-eternal sources that are depleting their souls. And faithful and Christian begin to get persecuted in this city. But they encourage each other in the gospel. Stay strong. We know that our heavenly city is just ahead. But faithful and Christian get thrown into jail. And eventually, faithful gets murdered for his faith. And as they're persecuting faithful, Christian escapes. And he's running off and he gets back on the Christian pilgrimage back to heaven as faithful is being murdered. And as he's walking and looking back towards the city, he sees another man running out of that city. And that man catches up, and we find that man to be hopeful. And we find out in the story that hopeful is actually saved through faithfulness's faith to Christ up until death. And so Christian and hopeful now continue this journey up into the heavenly gate, doing the same thing that Christian and faithful did. They talk about the gospel. They edify. They encourage each other. They show each other where error is and say, hey, no, I, I don't think that's what the gospel says. Look at, at what scripture is here. And then hopeful and Christian get to the heavenly gate finally at the end of their lives. And the last thing that they have to do is they have to walk through this river. And in walking through this river, they have to keep their eyes fixed on eternity. They have to keep their eyes fixed on the hope that is the gospel. And so as they're walking through, the story describes Christian beginning to fall and beginning to doubt. Man, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? He's at the end of his life and he's doubting, am I supposed to be walking through this because I'm drowning? And I'm going through this season and I can't get through this river. But what Hopeful does, the story describes him as encouraging Christian to remember the gospel. Remember, this is where we're going. This is what Christ has already done for us. This is our hope. This is our faith. We are right there. Continue to press into the Lord and we will get there. And so Christian snaps out of his doubt. And the story describes them walking on to the heavenly shores and being welcomed with all the saints into heaven. If you guys ever get a chance to read Pilgrim's Progress, it is a beautiful book about the walk of a Christian. But some of you may be asking in here, that's a great story, and it sounds really cool, and you know, you described it pretty well, but what does that have to do with discipleship? What does that have to do with this morning? Well, if you guys haven't picked up on the fact that hopeful and Christian uh, and, and, and faithful are men who walk with each other, it goes back to my point. There are men who stand side by side with each other to help each other to eternity, to walk into the likeness of Christ. This story represents us as believers. We are to be people like these men who stand side by side in seasons of doubt and seasons of joy, rejoicing with each other, mourning with each other, to make each other walk in the likeness of Christ. We are to be people who love and we are to be people who allow love to come to us. We are people to follow and to lead. And guys, we love each other in a godly form of love by helping each other look like Christ, one step at a time. And we do this, as 1 Thessalonians 2.8 shows us, we do this by sharing life in the gospel together. If you go back to the verse, and 
John, if you want to bring it back up on the screen, uh, it says this, man, having an affectionate desire for you, we were ready to share not only the gospel, but also our very lives because you had become dear to us. You see, the gospel of Christ stirs within us a love for those around us. And then it should propel us to go and live with them, go and share life with them. But here's the thing we, we must all believe and we must all find hope in first in order to share the love of Christ. In order to be a disciple of Christ, we must first be a disciple of Christ. We must know and believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And I know the majority of in here, in here know the Lord, but as believers, when we hear the gospel, it should stir our affections for what Christ has already done for us. But the thing is, I think sometimes we think we know about God and we know about Jesus, but we don't have this intimate personal relationship that has changed our lives. And I know this because even in my own life, I have an ability to, to get answers really, really quickly without having to worry about speed or time or even if I'm never going to be able to find that answer. And that's by the genie of Google. I can literally look up things within a matter of seconds and have a knowledge of something without truly knowing what it's about because of Google. I mean, it's a great common grace. Don't get, don't, don't get me wrong. Like yesterday, it helped me out. You know, I was, uh, my radiator was you know, acting up, and I was trying to figure out what type of water to put in my radiator. I know it's supposed to be distilled, but I was like, why can't I put Purified in? So I Googled it, and it told me. And I was like, all right, well, I guess my dad was right, and distilled water goes in the radiator. And so I left it at that. But I had this knowledge here, but I, I didn't truly know it. But also, like, it, personal lives and, and people that we have in our lives or people that we see or maybe we even put up as an idol, we can know a lot about them and know, know nothing about who they are. You know, I mentioned I'm a Florida Gator fan, and the biggest Florida Gator of all, you guys should know, is Tim Tebow, right? Everybody loves Tim Tebow. I mean, it doesn't even matter if you're a Gator fan. It's like, I used to hear people say, well, I'm not a Gator fan, but man, I love Tim Tebow. He just has a solid story, and he, he loves the Lord, and he's a good football player, but I don't like the Gators, which, I mean, whatever. You can't like the Gators. You can't not like the Gators if you just like Tim Tebow. But I can tell you a lot about Tim Tebow. I can tell you how many championships he's won. I can tell you how many Heismans he won in his sophomore year, how many touchdowns he ran for and threw for. I can tell you the high school he played for. Heck, one of my buddies who went to school with me in college played against him in high school. And so I have this knowledge about Tim. But man, can I call him up and be like, man, we have a launch service August 7th. You mind sending a tweet out so that we can get about 400 people in here and fill this theater? No, I can't do that. If one of y'all can, that would be great. I mean, that would be so awesome. But I don't have that intimate knowledge of who he is like that. I don't walk and share life with Tim Tebow at all. I know some women, and my sisters included, who would love to do that, but I, I can't. I don't. But I think sometimes we treat God in this way. We think we know him well, but we don't have an intimate personal relationship with him that has transformed our lives to love him more and to love others well that he's placed around us. But the thing about being a Christian is that we know that we were once created good. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created us as image bearers of the Lord. And we were perfect for, what, 30 seconds before Adam and Eve decided to sin against God. 
And I blame that on Adam. I mean, I know that men like to throw Eve under the bus, but Adam is a passive dude that just let her eat that fruit. And he's the reason we're in this. But we have a fractured relationship because of that sin. And we deserve to be punished because of God's wrath, because of that sin. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus steps in. Jesus takes on God's wrath fully on the cross. Through his life, death, and resurrection, when we trust in him and we, we put our hope and faith in him, we now enter into a new covenant. And all of our sin, past, present, and future, have been covered by his blood. But if you think about this, especially in 2016, 2,000-something years ago, all of our sins were future sins. And sometimes we tend to think, well, it's sin before Christ and sin after Christ. No, all of our sins are future sins. And so therefore, God saw it fit to send Christ for every single one of us who put our trust in him, knowing that we would sin against him, and even after we trust in him, we would still have that sin against him. But it's Christ's blood that gives us hope. It's Christ's blood that we put our hope and trust in, knowing that his righteousness has been imputed to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. You see, being a disciple of Christ recognizes that discipleship starts not with something we have done, but what Christ has done on the cross for us. And now that grace has been extended to us as a free gift, and we accept it through faith, knowing and trusting and resting in that we receive grace, mercy, a relationship with God, and a promise of eternal life. But a disciple also recognizes that in that reconciliation, in that restoration, Jesus calls us to go and follow him. And that following him looks like us laying down our own lives, laying down our own pride, and sacrificing for the life of others. And that's what making disciples looks like. It's coming alongside people, people you may not like initially, people may, you may love, people you do life with, but being intentional about sharing life with them in order for the love that you have to outpour into their lives. That's what a disciple looks like. That's what a disciple rests in. And this is where the foundation of gospel-centered discipleship starts. So this week, I actually got to sit down with, um, I think, a bunch of 20-year-olds. They were probably 19, 20. Um, we partner with the Southern Baptist Convention, and sometimes they have people in different cities uh, that are doing ministry, learning about the city, learning what it looks like to church plant. Um, and so they got connected through Duane, um, and then since they were single dudes and they were asking about ministry and what it looked like to be single inside of ministry, Duane was like, hold up. I can't tell you because I haven't been single for a while. He's like, here's our pastor, Josh. Um, he's been single. He's working through and what it looks like to um, trust in the Lord in that season as well as church plant. So give him a call. And so I got to meet with some of these dudes. And I mean, it was a great time. I mean, like I told you, I, I love sitting down with people and just talking about the gospel. And so we were able to do that. But as God would have it, we started talking about the sermon this week. I mean, I didn't even tell him that we were talking about gospel-centered discipleship, they just started asking, you know, how do we disciple people? What does it look like that we would 
take someone alongside of us or how we would share life in the gospel with somebody. And the question was interesting. It was especially interesting to me because we were supposed to meet Sunday before I actually wrote this sermon, and then we were actually supposed to meet Tuesday again, and that fell through because of a barbecue we had. And so we met up Thursday after I actually wrote down and allowed the Holy Spirit to work through this sermon. And it was, it was amazing to me when that question was posed because if I had answered it on Sunday, it would have been just share life in the gospel. How do you begin to disciple someone? Just share life in the gospel with them. But as the question was posed on Thursday, my answer changed. And my answer changed in this way. The beginning to disciple someone first starts with your love for the Lord. Your love for the Lord should lead you then to share life and the gospel with people around you. To love others well, you must love God first. And the mark of a maturing believer is this that you are growing in your knowledge and love for the Lord and then growing in your knowledge and love for people. The two go together, but they start with you pressing into who God is and trusting in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 tell us that one of God's characteristics is that he's a God of love. And we know that love in its purest form comes only from him. Every other source, every other well is just gonna run dry. So sharing life and the gospel first starts with pressing into who the Lord is and trusting in him. And if we think through this, that really shouldn't be a, a new idea. That shouldn't be something that we haven't thought about before. It's not a hard concept for us to believe because 1 John tells us that we love because Christ first loved us. And when we disciple from the overflow of what we believe and what we know about who God is and what he's done through Christ, It makes discipleship a whole lot easier. There's no burden on our back to make somebody change. There's no burden in which we have to think about and put the weight on ourselves of, man, this discipleship process isn't going well because I'm doing all these things and this person isn't getting it. No, we don't have to have that burden. We know that when we press into the Lord, we are free to go and disciple really by who we are and who God has made us to be through the gifts and passions that we have. But the thing is, and and I found this in myself to be true, how can we begin to disciple people when we're not pressing into the Lord? Like, how can we begin to try to feed someone when we are starving ourselves? And so we must first look at discipleship as a love for the Lord before we start to go out and begin to share life in the gospel on our own. So from that, discipleship, when pressing into the Lord, then begins and is laid out through sharing life in the gospel. I'm going to talk two different ways in which we share life, especially as believers. One way that we share life is inside the church. Like this is the body of Christ. This is who we are. This is, we come here to reflect and celebrate what Christ has already done for us. And then we go out into the world and we share life in the gospel with the people outside. Because the thing is, both groups need more of Jesus. I mean, once you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you don't need more of Jesus. And the people outside of the world, they need more of Jesus just as much. But the thing is, I think that when it comes to sharing life and the gospel inside of the church, it's actually a little bit harder for us. It's a little bit harder for us because we are all broken people walking around with other broken people. And guess what? Broken people hurt other broken people. 
or as the saying goes, hurt people, hurt people. And so when we're inside of the church and we think about, okay, maybe I should be vulnerable with this group, or maybe I should be able to share life fully with this group, we tend to go back to the fears and the pain that we've walked through. But what's oddly encouraging about scripture is it doesn't shy away from the ebb and flow of the Christian life. It doesn't shy away from seasons of doubt and seasons of hurting. But what it does show us and what it does encourage us to do is to press into the Lord as well as press into the community of Christ. I mean, that's what our boys hopeful and faithful and Christian look like to us, where we are encouraging one another to be able to walk through seasons of doubt, where we are able to receive phone calls and rejoice over the birth of a new child or something happens with a job. We're able to celebrate with one another, but we're also able to be in the muck and the mire when people are walking through the dark night of the soul. And the thing is, some of you guys may be going through seasons of life like that. Some of you guys may be entering into seasons of life like that or exiting those seasons. And sometimes when we're in those seasons, it just feels like they're never going to end or they don't get over as fast as they should be. In talking and, and writing this sermon, um, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit that like, in order to get up and preach the gospel, I also need to be preaching the gospel myself, as well as being vulnerable to the people in this room, as well as the believers in Christ I share life with. And so I am currently walking through a season right now that's stemming from a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of dark sin for my family. And this week, a cloud of darkness just, just came over me on Tuesday. I was dropping my little brother off at the airport, and my, my sisters had left Sunday, and this, just this weight came over me. One, it revealed to me how, love, how much I love my family, but two, it revealed to me as well how much weight is going on in this dark season of life. And so immediately I was convicted to send a text message to Dwayne and Jeremy because these are the guys that are walking through life with me. And so in that response, I'm going to read you what Jeremy and Dwayne said to me. I didn't tell them I was doing this, so I don't really care, but um, you guys can see what walking through life and walking through seasons look like when we have love for the Lord and then love for one another. Jeremy said, something I was reminded of yesterday was found in Genesis 50, 20. It says, you intended to destroy me, but God intended for good for what is now being done is the saving of many lives. And that's the story of Joseph. At the end of Joseph's life, he stands in front of his brothers and said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And if you ever want an encouraging story um, or want to look up a little phrase in scripture that always flows from, I mean, just God doing great things, Google or search for or look in your scriptures where it says, but God. And that phrase in itself, but God, is such an encouraging little phrase, two little words. But back to what Jeremy said, it says, or he said, praise God for the eyes to see when our suffering or temporary darkness, or struggles, or opportunities to bring all glory to God are brought forth. Opportunities for us to fully rely on him. It's physically impossible to carry those burdens alone and walk out alive. Something else I heard this week, the only weight that can possibly destroy us has been lifted through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. Love you, man, and thanks you for sharing this. And Dwayne wrote, in my study this morning, I was reading 1 Corinthians 15.1. 
and I came across the understanding of the word of the word gospel and the phrase I preached to you. Both of them are the same word in the Greek. And so not only is the gospel the means by which we are saved and sustained, but also the active force by which we are sustained daily through all things, even in the dark night of the soul, even in seasons of doubt, even in seasons of struggle. The gospel is what is sustaining us through those times. And guys, these are guys that are helping me walk through a season of life, but this ultimately is what discipleship looks like for the believers in Christ who are pressing into the Lord and then sharing life with each other, being vulnerable and saying, you know what, I'm gonna share this with you because my validation doesn't come from your response. My validation comes from the cross. And I know that God has placed you guys in my life in order to help me walk into the likeness of Christ even in the seasons of doubt. That's what discipleship looks like. And that's what discipleship should look like in the church. It should encourage us to be vulnerable with one another, to be open with one another, to be able to say where we struggle and where our pain is because we know that we've already been validated by Christ on the cross. We don't have to worry about what other people are gonna think about us. But sharing life inside the church should compel us to be able to share life outside of the church and disciple people in knowing who Christ is. This may be weird because I grew up in church where discipleship just looked like uh, you know, an older guy and a younger man or an older woman and a younger woman or uh, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, men's and women's retreats. It was only for the church. I mean, like that study from the UK said, like we have taken uh, discipleship instead of going out, we've brought it in. And those are good and right things. Man, I've learned a lot from older men and I've learned a lot through walking through life with other people inside the church, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't end there. If we go back to First Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says, we were ready to share not only the gospel, but also our very lives because you had become dear to us. So the first thing that Paul did when he got to Thessalonica was he went and shared the gospel. He went and tried to create disciples in the synagogue as well as in the marketplace with the Jews and the Gentiles. And that should be our mission when we walk out of this church is the overflow of the love for Christ should lead us and compel us to share the gospel for those around us. Because each one of us need more of Jesus. Now, this may seem like a very big task. This may seem like a daunting task in which, man, I, I don't know if I could do that. I, I don't want to be rejected for the gospel. I don't want people, I want people to call me out and, and, and know more than me. I don't want to be the one who shares the gospel with my hometown or my people that know me so well that they've seen my sin or knew how I grew up. I, I can't go back and share the gospel with them because they're call, they'll call me out. But guess what? Because of the cross of Christ, man, we, we don't have to worry about those things. I mean, we can be called a hypocrite and say, yeah, I am a hypocrite. But guess what? Christ loved me so much that he still was wo willing to die for my sin. You don't have to have all the answers. And guys, we will get rejected. And Christ tells us that. But this is the hope we lie in, that God has placed us where we are in this time for his glory and our eventual joy for the growth of the kingdom. Acts 17, 26 says this, God made from one man every nation 
of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. You know what that means for us as believers? In 2016, you live where you're supposed to live for the glory of God and the growth of his kingdom. He has placed you there. I mean, he's not shocked that we're all in Indianapolis and Norrin Castleton in 2016. I mean, he's not going up to the Holy Spirit and being like, man, I told you the Elliots weren't supposed to live in Carmel. He wasn't going, you know what? I, we should have moved them to Lawrence because they would have loved that. God wasn't shocked that I'm living in Broad Ripple. God isn't shocked that Dwayne and Kelsey are living in Norrin Castleton. God's not shocked about where you are. He's not questioning where you are because he has placed you and he has determined your time there for his glory and your eventual joy. And when we understand that, man, it should bring freedom. That God's got us here for a reason. And if he has a reason, he's got a plan in which is going to turn out for his good and our joy. But let me tell you something, guys. No one can reach your social circle of life like you can. So understanding that God has you there for a reason and understanding that, man, this social circle around me, nobody else is going to do a better job than me to be able to share life and the gospel with one another when I trust in who God is and what he's done for me. You know, I, I could probably go out to where each and every one of you lives. I probably could connect with certain people. Jeremy could connect with everybody because he's great. Dwayne can probably connect with most people as well. But you know who can connect the best in your social circle? Social circle of life? You can. Because that's who God has placed around you for his, for his glory, for the purpose of sharing life and the gospel with one another. Going back to that conversation that I previously mentioned with some of uh, the South, uh, Southern Baptist Convention guys, um, one of the guys actually grew up in Miami, and he got saved about four years ago, which is really awesome to hear his salvation story, and really cool that he came from Miami, because that's about 20 minutes from where I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and so he was, you know, telling me where he grew up and how he got saved and how in South Florida he just wanted to see the gospel go forth. So he began to just preach the gospel on the street, which I've seen many people do in South Florida, and it is a tough, tough job. But he said he had good conversations with people. He said that he was able to combat and have some apologetic conversations about who Christ was, but then people would walk away and they'd leave. And he didn't see any fruit from any of the preaching that he had. Now, of course, God could save uh, well along the path and not use him. I totally understand that. But he realized and he told to me that the fruit of his discipleship, the fruit of people growing in the likeness of Christ came when he started to share life and the gospel with those around him. And how often is that true in our lives? How often do we think that, you know, it's better for me just to go to the store and maybe have this one-off gospel conversation instead of having to actually be intentional about getting in someone else's life and getting into the muck and the mire of who they are and the sin that they have and revealing the sin that we have. It's a lot easier because they're gone after 15 minutes or 15 seconds and they don't want to hear you. But what's more likely to happen for people to come to Christ is when we intentionally seek out those around us to share life and the gospel with them. So I'm going to begin to wrap this up because I know that we've been talking about a lot of ethereal things and maybe some things have challenged you guys. But I also want to talk about discipleship inside of the district church and what that's going to look like in the next coming seasons. And I want to pose these two questions to you first 
kind of rhetorical and maybe answer them for you to show you this is, this is how we're going to do it. And I hope that you guys get excited about it. I'm super excited about what our future looks like when it comes to missional community groups and being able to disciple each other and how we're going to help each other walk in the likeness of Christ. So the first one is why is it important to us at the district church to have discipleship? Like why is discipleship important? And then the second one is how will it happen here? How will the root of discipleship grow and start here at the district church and then go out to the rest of Indianapolis? So the first thing is this. It's important because Jesus tells us to go make disciples. I mean, that really should be the only answer. Christ says, go make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when it starts in this church first, when we love the Lord and when we press into the Lord and when we are sending people out to share life in the gospel with each other, then the rest of the world sees who we love and who we are disciples of. Jesus tells us in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. And he's talking about the love inside of the church. And so the world around us sees that we're disciples of Christ in, which, in, in how we love each other here how we love each other well, how we stir one another's affections up for the Lord, and how we are helping each other walk in the likeness of Christ. That's what the world needs to see, and that's why it's important. But we also believe that the lifeblood of this church is going to be discipleship. See, every one of you can come in here and listen to a sermon by me or Dwayne or Jeremy, and you can be convicted for you know the next day or the next week, but if you don't put that conviction to action, Nothing is going to come out of it. There's no fruit that's going to come from it. And so you have six days from now, actually seven, from now until next Sunday to go and share life in the gospel with one another. Like my sermon isn't going to go and share life with the people around you. That's what you're called to do. And the lifeblood of this church, whether we grow deep and wide or whether we get this stadium filled up, theater filled up, it's going to come from you guys. It's going to come from us discipling one another as well as those around us that God has placed us in our lives. So it starts with the church, and that's why it's important for us to be obedient to who uh, we are as believers and what Christ has given us as a great commission. And then secondly is how do we plan to do this? How do we plan to come alongside each other and disciple one another? Well, the biggest model is going to come from 1 Timothy where it says that older men should disciple younger men and older women should disciple younger women. Now, I know I use that term older loosely because we don't really have a lot of old people here. We really don't. We have a bunch of 30, I mean, we literally have like eight people turning 30 this year. I am one of them. Um, but we have in age range some older and younger men and some older and younger women who haven't walked through seasons of life that these older men and women have. And, and, and they need to be discipled by older men. And, and younger men, we need to be discipled by these older men to be able to be humble and say, you know what, I don't know this much about life, and you do. And we need to be able to open up and share life and the gospel with one another. And it won't be a one-way street. It should be a two-way street in which both parties learn. And so that's going to be one of the biggest things that we push is Older and younger men, older and younger women getting together. And this happens differently, really, man. We have a lot of newly married couples in this church, maybe one or two years that they've been married. But we also have, and just off, off the top of my head, the Elliots and the Gibbs who've been married, what, seven to 11 years? Have you guys, how long have you guys been together? 
Eight. Well, that's it. Okay. Um, but they've been married. They have three kids. I have, I've done ministry with both these families, and I can attest they love the Lord, and they love their families, and they are people to be able to sit under and learn from and know the gospel and see the gospel play throughout their lives. And you don't always have to just go over there for dinner or you guys don't have to meet up for coffee. Man, just be open to doing life with the Elliots or the Gibbs or people who are willing to share their lives with you. That's one of the ways that discipleship is going to happen is through the mundane and the normal things of life. It doesn't have to be some retreat that you guys go to, but it could be just breakfast that you have in the morning and going and helping somebody move or going and walking on the Monon for five, five miles, which I did last week with my dog and tried to kill him. But just sharing life in the mundane things is going to be where the gospel comes out. Will you have gospel conversations? Sure, because the love that you have should overflow into what you're doing. But you don't always have to have gospel conversations. You don't always have to get it back to the gospel. You can just be talking about your kids or your dog or your passions and what you love in life. And that's going to come forth because that's sort of things that God has given you to help you grow and help others grow in the likeness of Christ. And then we pick up on things, on how to stir each other's affections for the Lord. I know that I can go to Dwayne's house and bring him a burger and a cookie, and that kid will be great. But I can go to Jeremy's house and bring him a glass of bourbon, and that'll also be great. So these are things that you pick up on in sharing life with people in order to be able to share the gospel with one another. The next thing that we're going to do is our missional community groups are going to start up. August 7th is when we're going to roll them out and kick them off. And we really do believe that this is going to be just a great season of life in which we can begin to walk with each other into the likeness of Christ. We're going to have three of them. One's going to be at the Wilkins, who are taking care of our kids right now. One's going to be at the Durands, who are out of town right now. And then one's going to be at the Elliott's house. And we'll have different leaders in different locations. I think one's in Carmel, one's on the, like, if you're looking at the 465 map, one's on the right side, outside of 465, and then one's just underneath the loop on the inside. Um, but we're going to have, like, these areas in which we are trying to reach the, reach the people in those areas for the gospel. And we'll have different things throughout the small group or missional community group sessions where, you know, you go and just eat with people or you go and serve with people or you go and pray and learn about one another. And then we'll have times of discussion and we'll, we'll talk about the sermon and how it impacted you. But then inside of those missional community groups, we want to make them smaller. You see Jesus's walk with his disciples. He had 12 and then he had three. And then some could even argue that he had one in Peter. And we want to break down those missional community groups in which we have smaller groups that we can be intentional about each other's lives, where they meet up for once or twice for coffee just to talk about what the gospel is doing in their lives and how they can pray for them, how they can walk through these seasons of life with each other. And we just get more intimate and more deep into each other's lives in which we can stir one another up for the affections of the Lord. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be intentional about these things. We really want to push each other to be intentional about the gospel, to share life inside of the church as well as outside. And so as we close, this is what discipleship is going to look like. This is what walking with each other, coming alongside someone to help them walk in the likeness of Christ is going to look like. This is what discipleship looks like for us. And guys, it's because of what God who first loved us, has done through Christ on the cross in loving us despite our sin and saving us before the foundation of the earth. 
This is why we love others. There's a great story in the gospel in which a prostitute walks into a Pharisee's house where Jesus is at, and she begins to weep and wipe his feet. And the Pharisee who's in the house thinks, man, if Jesus only knew what she had done in her past, he would never let her wipe or touch his feet. And the beauty of Jesus is like, you're wrong. And the Pharisee's like, I didn't say anything. And Jesus is like, no, but you thought. And here's what you thought. And, and she, he points out that she has done everything of what love would look like as somebody would come into the house. This, of course, is a paraphrase, and you guys can go and read this beautiful story. But Jesus ends that story with, when you are forgiven much, you love much. And so when we understand how much we've been forgiven by the gospel through Christ's work, through Christ's life, death, and resurrection on the cross, defeating sin and death for us, man, we can't but help be compelled to go and love those who need more of Jesus, both saved and unsaved. And the best way to celebrate what God has done for us is through the act of communion. And so we're going to close today with communion, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. We'll have a station at the back, and I think we still have a gluten-free station at the back as well for anybody that wants to partake that way. Um, but we're going to do this in community. We're going to do this through the body of Christ. And so if you have people around you, once you've taken the bread and the wine, or the juice, I'm sorry, it's not wine, um, once you've taken the elements, which we understand the elements of bread being Christ's body broken for us and the juice to represent Christ's blood spilled for us, covering our sin. We take communion as a celebration. And what better way to celebrate what Christ has done for us as a body than doing it together, than having a small little meal together where we praise God for what he's done for us through Christ. And so I'm going to close out in prayer. I'm going to ask Matt to come up here and just kind of strum a chord for us. Um, you take your time before you go to communion. If, if you don't feel like communion is something you need to do today or, you know, you haven't put in your faith and trust in Christ and the covenant isn't something you've united yourself to, just refrain from it. Keep your head down. If you don't want to enjoy communion together with somebody, keep your head down and just nod your head. No, I'm not doing it. It's not going to be weird. It's okay. But guys, we want to do this together because we are a body of Christ who... God has sent to save us and to sustain us and to help us walk into the likeness of Christ and we do this together. So we're going to take some time to pray um, and then we, guys, we can celebrate communion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, for, thank you for what Christ has done for us on the cross. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And to bring us into the family of God, to be the bride of Christ, to reflect and share who and what we believe and the love that you have placed within us. Lord, when it comes to discipleship, Lord, we, we do know how important it is to you. You show it to us throughout Scripture. And so, Lord, as we take communion, as we partake in this celebration of what Christ has done for us in the gospel, let us celebrate and let us rejoice and let us be able to take it together as a community, and as the body of Christ. Lord, as we go forth as the district church and as we go forth inside the city of Indianapolis and, and then outside in the world, Lord, let us love you well. Let us press into you in the dark nights of the soul and the times of rejoicing. Lord, let us love you because you first loved us. 
Thank you for this time where we can be renewed by the Spirit of God to trust in you and help us throughout this week to remember the gospel. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at